Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen. This is Peter Kapsner filling in for this morning. Carmen is enjoying an extra day on the weekend, coming home from the family cabin, and delighted to be joined by all of you this morning as we fix our eyes on Jesus starting our day together, whether we're just heading off to work, whether we're already at work, getting the kids ready for school, grabbing that first cup of coffee. We are all bonded together by the unity of the Spirit and Jesus, and just so delighted to be able to talk about things of the kingdom with all of you. This morning, Paul Perot in studio as well. In just a moment, we'll be joined by Linda Mintel, the relationships expert, who we can talk a bit about uh, Valentine's Day and how we can treat one another well, and, and maybe just take the day to really focus on some of the relationships in our life. But if you're part of the Faith Radio family, and obviously many of you have been listening for quite some time, some of you new to the network as well, you can go to MyFaithRadio.com and join us for our daily scripture study. We are in the book of Acts right now. Paul Perot and I have talked a bit about Acts chapter 14 and the fact that the people of the city of Lystra confused Paul and Barnabas as gods because of this demonstration of the kingdom power. And tomorrow, Paul, you already previewed a bit that you are going to be Angela's podcast partner for Acts chapter 15. This is the Jerusalem Council. This is a big moment in the life of the church. You want to give us a little preview without too many spoilers? Well, yeah, I don't want to give too many spoilers. Actually, the way I looked at that chapter is it's the story of two conflicts because you have the Jerusalem Council, which you just mentioned, and that's a big one. I mean, we're getting to the core. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What are the requirements thereof? Is it trusting in the grace through faith or is it you have to do these certain acts, have to, um, you have to be circumcised because the those who are called Judaizers or it became known as that. Um, they were saying all these all these uh, Gentile believers have to become Jews. They have to go through all the proselyte process, you know, of uh, you know being being circumcised. They got to follow the law of Moses. And well, anyway, listen to that. But that's the first conflict. There's a second one, and I find it interesting because again, understanding that the chapter breaks are arbitrary. That's something right, that course. was put together Much hundreds later. of years later. Right. But the fact that it's grouped because the very next story. After the council is after Paul and Barnabas and who was it? Uh, Silas, I think it was. They go back up to Antioch, the church of Antioch, and or was it Damascus? I, I, I get the I think it was Antioch. Anyway, they go back to their home church, their home base, and then they're ready to go back out. Oh, we should revisit uh, all the people we've talked to, see how they're doing. Um, and uh, Barnabas says, "Great, we'll bring Mark along." Oh, no, Paul's thank you. Kind of uh, timeout. <laughs> right. Mark bailed on us, Barnabas. Um, we got important work to do. We we can't trust this to somebody who's going to get cold feet. That led to an interesting dispute, and so you have the tale of again two different 
conflicts. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. That's such a pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. Like you said, they're returning from their first go around of, of sharing the good news throughout the Mediterranean world to Gentiles. And mm-hmm. historically, the Jewish people were not to mingle, per se, very often with the Gentile community. They were supposed to stay away. So, so much of the New Testament, when we read it through the lens of them puzzling over how is it that this kingdom really is for everybody? Because we thought we were sort of the unique stewards of it, but now it's exploding out among the people in a variety of ways. And that council tomorrow is so central to all of that. So uh, part of the Faith Radio family, if you haven't had a chance to catch the ongoing podcast that's run by our very own Angela Smith in uh, in going through a chapter a day, then you'll want to go to myfaithradio.com and participate there. Up next, we'll be joined by Linda Mintel, and we're going to talk about Valentine's Day, starting off the conversation with what our body language says as we're in conversation with one another. minutes past the top of the hour here on the 14th of February. And who better to join us this morning to talk about Valentine's Day than the relationships expert. She has a show on Faith Radio, the Dr. Linda Mintel show. Welcome, Linda. Hey, it's good to talk to you again. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. It's lovely to catch up. And I was looking through some of the different topics of today. And let's just say that perhaps my body language when it comes to conversations uh, probably could use some work, Linda, because when I'm mostly (laughs) staring at the computer and going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Let's just, I'm guessing that that is not healthy body language. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's hard to read, isn't it, when we've all been on Zoom and all these platforms and we really can't see what the person is doing when they're talking to us. But we're going to have a lot of fun with this topic, even on my weekend show. We're going to do a whole show. And I spent all this time just looking at research on what happens in your eyes, hmm. which I couldn't believe it, whether you blink a certain way, whether the size of your pupil, um, there's all this crazy, your eyebrows go up, you know, where do you ours go? All of that are indications of whether somebody likes you or is tracking you in a conversation. And I think, you know, we're talking about it on Valentine's Day, partly because so many people are, are in romantic relationships or would like to be in romantic relationships. And a lot of the, the, the college age students I work with are, how do I tell if the person is interested <laughs> in me? And so body language is a great way if you really tune into it. Plus, if you're in a work situation and you're trying to figure out, is the team with me? Are people tracking? Are they liking the direction we're going? If you pay attention to a lot of the nonverbal, and you know, Peter, there's whole bodies of research on nonverbal communication and what it says about you. But if you kind of cue into a few things, you can get an indication that, hey, this is going well and people are interested and they're actually listening to me. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, it is fun. So I assume, Linda, that it's probably a bad sign when I'm teaching class and the body language is heads down, arms folded on the desk with eyes closed. Would you suggest that that maybe is is indicative of something? Yeah, it's indicative of much needed sleep for most college students. But (laughs) uh, I I remember I had a 730 world history class one year, and I I don't remember one thing about that class. But but in terms of body language, what you're looking for when you're in a group and you're you're trying to determine interest. And even if somebody is liking you at that time is you want to make sure that their body is turned towards you. And it's so interesting. You can look at their feet. 
And if their feet are turned towards you, that's a good sign. So if they're they're looking away, their body is, their torso is kind of turned away, but they're kind of looking at you, their feet are moved outward instead of inward towards you, they're probably being polite, but they're probably not that interested. So that's a really easy one. And then leaning in, you know, are your students leaning in as mm. you're talking? We're not talking Brene Brown here. We're just talking about are they physically leaning in towards the conversation when people kind of back up and they lean away and they look so aloof. I remember I was in a meeting and one of the, it was, there was an attorney in the meeting and his body language, he was leaning back on the chair. He had his hands crossed and he, I thought, Oh, this guy is not really too into this meeting. and is not too involved. And in fact, looks a little bit angry. So again, open arms, having your arms open, using them to talk and, you know, turning to the person. These all seem very basic, but it's kind of fun after this, after our time together, when you go into your next meeting, wherever you are, or with your family member or whoever you're with, just pay attention to a few of these nonverbal cues and see what they're telling you. If you're noticing some of these negative nonverbal cues, Linda, and you're in the middle of a conversation with somebody and you're at least aware enough socially that these things are going on, are there different things you can do to help adjust the tenor and tone of the conversation? Is it, uh, is it all on you? Is it on them? H- how do we move towards more of these leaning in kinds of postures with one another? Well, I think it helps to make eye contact. I think that's a big one. And there's a big concern uh, in our in our culture today because people are on screens all the time that, you know, people are not getting good with eye contact. It's interesting when I when I uh, do mock interviews with uh, medical students for residency, uh, I look at all their nonverbal, especially because they're on screens for these interviews now because of covid. And one of the things that they have a lot of trouble with, of course, it's harder on a screen to give eye contact to people (laughs) because you're looking at a screen, but you can see them on the screen. But one of the things that I've noticed is this more screen generation has a little bit more problem maintaining that eye contact Mm -hmm. because they're always distracted by their phones and other things that are going on. So if you just look at a person and you watch them and you see those signs, you can pause you can say, hey, are you with me or uh, what's going on? I mean, you can you can sort of do a check-in like we do in couples work. You know, we, we notice that the person is giving off signals that they're not really with us. The best thing is just to stop and say, hey, what's going on? Um, you know, we're talking about this, but you don't seem that into it or is something bothering you or is there something I've done? Um, you look kind of disinterested or maybe even angry. And then, you know, you can have a really good conversation um, hard because it's probably conflictual a little bit, but a uh, good conversation and try to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. So they're just clues. Yeah, and it's so interesting when you're in the middle of those conversations, too. I find myself, Linda, that uh, I'm not as practiced maybe in longer conversations anymore. You talked about distractibility Mm -hmm. and attention span, but to to be in conversation where somebody talks for longer than a minute, I I find myself (laughs) getting agitated or or maybe a little bit anxious for some reason. I don't remember always feeling this way. Are there things that we can do to re-exercise those muscles, just simple conversational muscles? Yeah, I think I think good things are to, you know, just take your time and be in the moment, right? We hear a lot about present moment, be present moment. Um, and, and I think it's a good thing because in Jesus was very present moment, whoever he was with. And, you know, I, I love, uh, like a lot of people, I love this series, The Chosen, because he's, Jesus' portrayal in that series, mm. he's so present yeah. moment. He's looking at you. It's it's this uh, feeling. Now I don't. This is going to be a really crazy comparison, but 
I remember uh, one time I was having a conversation with Oz Guinness, and he had met uh, Bill Clinton. And he told me, he said, one of the things that I noticed about Bill Clinton is when you're with him in a room, it's as if no, you meet him. So you meet him. Like, let's say you're in a line, you're meeting him. It's as if you're the only person in that moment. He had that ability, apparently, to make you feel like you're in front of me, you're important, you're with me. And think about that in terms of eye contact and with your partner. We're talking Valentine's Day. One of the studies that I was reading for the show um, that we're going to do is that in good, happy couples, about 75% of the time, they maintain eye contact. They're actually looking at each other. And even if you maintain eye contact with someone at work for at least 30% of the time, it shows that you're interested. So I I have this feeling a lot of times what I'll do when when people are talking to me and they're looking down at their phone or they're, you know, distracted, I'll just stop. And I'll go, (laughs) I'll give you a moment. I bet that's super comfortable, right? (laughs) It is, but especially when I'm, I'm, you know, trying to have a conversation. I don't want to say, hey, it's rude. You're looking at your phone. But it is, you know, I just stop and I'll just say, why don't you go ahead and deal with that? And then when you're finished, maybe we can continue. Um, That makes people real uncomfortable. But it kind of gets the point that... We need, to, we need to look and listen. And for couples that are listening, just think about this, Peter. All you have to do tonight at Valentine's Day is stare into the eyes of your, of your spouse or your partner. And, mm. you know, you can create passion. There actually is a study that was done that shows that if you stare into a stranger's eyes for two minutes, that they came away from that study feeling like, now, this was the term, passionate love for that person. Wow. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is remarkable. It does say a lot. And, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a moment in terms of breaking some of the relational boredom that maybe we can have from familiarity. But Linda, you bring up such an important point because we just don't spend that time. I, I've never walked away from a social media conversation and I'm not on social media much, but I've never walked away thinking, oh gosh, my heart feels so full. I'm filled with passionate <laughs> love for the people on the screen. But you're, you're talking about a relationality that can only happen within human contact. So when we come back, let's continue that conversation just about how do we break free from some of the relational boredom and how do we enter back into what I would consider to be true human relationships. It's Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge this morning. Chatting with Linda Mendel this morning about uh, relationships and nonverbal cues, as well as now breaking some of the relational boredom. And Linda, John texted in during the break and said, listen to me with your face. I love that comment. Oh, that's good. That's really good. And it, it is it is just so much more powerful than people realize. And, you know, it's there's all kinds of stuff going on when you're gazing into somebody's face. And one of the fun things I found was about the size of your pupil. So here's something that's kind of interesting. You know, they, you think about I'm in a restaurant. It's kind of lit, dimly lit, and there's this romantic music playing. And what happens is people's pupils get bigger. And they have found in research that as, they, as the pupil gets bigger, it's a little bit more arousing, and it, it means interest. And, uh, and, and so little things like that that you don't know, like why do people go to these romantic restaurants and, you know, have these dimly lit tables and do all this? There's a whole lot behind the psychology of that in terms of what piques interest, what says yes. So, you know, if you're glancing at someone at a coffee bar and hopefully you're not married and you're, this is somebody, you, you know, single who wants to 
uh, is looking for someone and the person glances back at you and then they do that about three times. Um, and then it's funny, the research says for some men, it, they're a little bit slow. They need five glances, not three, <laughs> to show interest. But, um, you know, it shows interest. So not in a creepy way. We're not talking about staring at people, you know, in a creepy way. We're talking about really looking at your partner and looking into their eyes and just giving them that eye contact while maybe you're holding their hand and maybe you're giving some type of statement of affection and fondness. We all like to hear that. And when you do it with eye contact, it's just way, way more powerful. Now, it's so interesting to think about the relationship between our non-visible selves, where our emotions and our spirit, our heart, mm-hmm. all of that language and how it does really relate to then our physical space together. Something as simple as the dilation of pupils or as you're talking about body language, it really does communicate in, in the physical world our non-visible feelings for one another. Yeah. And, the, and you know, I do a whole lecture in uh, dermatology where I talk about the skin as an expression of emotions. So you think about your eyes, the way you, your body stands, and even your skin. When you have an interest in somebody, there's a blush that happens a lot of times on the neck. And you can see that sometimes in relationships when people are meeting and they're, they're like, oh, you know, they have all these chills. And it actually is expressed on the, on the skin. So the way that our body works, it's just so intimately designed. And when you, when you read all these little things, about, um, you know, your eyebrows going up and your eyebrows, uh, you know, furling when you're mad, but then going up when there's some interest and there's some arousal with somebody. It's just really interesting how God has made us. So fun kind of things to look at and to really read the room. So, you know, you part of it is you want to learn how to read people. And this is called emotional intelligence, right? When you can sort of read how a conversation's going and read uh, whether or not the person is showing interest or is involved in the conversation. And couples really need to do this. They need to take a little time every night and just kind of check in with each other and, and do what we used to call in couples therapy, sort of a temperature check. How's it going? How are we doing? Are we good? Are there things we need to talk about? Or what I love is just saying two or three things that you really appreciate about your partner, because we know the expression of fondness and appreciation is really important in couples. Now you're listening to Linda Mintel this morning, talk about relationships on Valentine's Day. If you have a question or a comment, something that you'd like to have brought up, you can text us in at 877-933-2484. And Linda, for couples that maybe have been together for quite some time and maybe Valentine's Day doesn't hold the same amount of energy about it that it otherwise could or should, I know that we can get into ruts about maybe where we go and eat or maybe what we eat or, or what we do or, or how we hang out together. Uh, what are some ways in which we can break some of those, re, the, those ruts and really create space to see each other again in a different kind of way? What, what you're talking about is really what stimulates a relationship, and that is some type of novelty. When you introduce novelty into a relationship, that dopamine, that feel-good uh, chemical in the brain really gets going. Um, it's the same chemical that gets going with drug use. Um, but we'd rather do it with novelty in terms of couples. We don't want, we're not going to tell people to take drugs. That is not our message. We do. Yeah, the disclaimer this morning, Linda is not yeah. advocating for drug use today. That's right. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, say no to drugs. There's my message, okay? 
but it does it does speak to why people continue to use that because it does spark this the, these these neurochemicals that these neurotransmitters in the brain that are so important to keeping people interested and and uh, you know that's what we want to do on Valentine's Day so you you need to do something kind of different and one of the things that I was thinking about which is really off the off the wall. Uh, for a lot of people, you wouldn't think to do this, but you know what would happen if you, you and your spouse, or you're and your partner, if you're, you know, engaged or in a relationship, what would happen if you, instead of doing the typical dinner and, and, um, you know, whatever, you, you know, you do it uh, on Valentine's Day, what if you went and served somebody, mm. like in a shelter, or you went to a children's hospital and you took Valentine's to kids, or what if you did something together? where you were serving somebody, that's going to prompt a lot of novelty in the brain. Because not only are you doing something new and different, you're doing it together, and you're doing something that brings joy to someone else, which always turns back and brings joy to us when we do it. So that's kind of a fun one that I thought of. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes doing something you've never done, like signing up for a cooking class or you know, doing some kind of go play laser tag or something that is really out there again <laughs> that you've never done. Bowling for me would be one because we never bowl. So then if we went bowling, uh, I saw that funny commercial on the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning and then Serena Williams walks in, look out. But, you know, I don't think Serena's going to walk into your nearest bowling alley. So you probably could have fun with it. And if you go and you say, we don't know what we're doing, we're putting on these shoes. We're just going to try it. You'll probably laugh a lot, and it'll probably be very stimulating. So anything new that you can think of, get creative, write a poem, compose a song for your spouse, do something to express it, put little notes around the house, anything you can think of. Those uh, would be great. I love it, Linda. I think what you're talking about is just disrupting the normality a little bit yes. to create space for something new. And, and bowling would be quite, quite the adventure for many people. <laughs> I'm sure. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. Love all the advice. Again, I can catch you on the Dr. Linda Mintel Show here as part of the Faith Radio Network on the weekends. Have a great rest of the day and week, Linda. All right. Great always talking to you. Take yeah, you, care. You too. We'll take a short break and do some bottom-of-the-hour conversation and welcome Justin Jepson into the program for the second half of Hour 2 on Mornings Without Carmen. Oh, the diversity of music this morning, Paul Perot, the love songs that you're coming out with on Valentine's Day. It, it is second to none. I love all the different songs like this. I try. I you, try. Do try. <laughs> you do try it. Well, I appreciate the conversation. If you missed it with Linda Mental that we just had, you can go to MyFaithRadio.com and check out the Mornings with Carmen show. Linda had some great ideas, some great advice for sparking some romance in the relationship. Uh, we'd love to hear from you in terms of disruptive ideas. Uh, her last point that she made was that if you're feeling in a bit of a rut relationally, that that you can go just do something maybe you've never done before. Eat something different. Attend, the, Go to a place that you've never been. Just do something entirely different. If you have some fun, disruptive ideas, text us in at 877-933-2484. We'll read them on air here for the rest of the morning. And up next, we've got Justin Jepson who will be joining us. And Justin was the former chapel director of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. He's got a new ministry as well that we'll talk about, a centering around prayer. But the first conversation will be what to do about romance if you have young kids around. So up next, Justin Jepson. Exciting and 
I know that many of you listen all throughout the day. You have Faith Radio streaming on an app or maybe on Terrestrial Radio throughout your day, starting in the morning with Mornings with Carmen and, of course, uh, Susie Larson in the afternoon and on to the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. And if you do that or do listen to Bill Arnold's show on a regular basis, you will know the voice of our next guest, Justin Jepson, who joins us regularly on Thursday afternoon Guy Talk as one of the panel members. He's better known as 007. We never really know where he is or what he's up to in this world, but great to have Justin join us this morning. Good morning, Justin. Hey, good morning, Peter. Great to join you both. Yeah, indeed. So it's Valentine's Day, and I think if I understand correctly, you guys have uh, had maybe, what, 15 kids in the last four years or something along those lines? <laughs> you, you have a very busy household, Justin. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure my gestation math is off on that, but it's a number of kids for sure. Just just a little bit. Yeah, it feels like that at times. We, ha- we have three kids under the age of five. So wow. the four-and-a-half-year-old son, two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and a s- almost seven-month-old daughter. And in so, the, yeah, and in the grind of that, what does Valentine's Day look like within the, the – I mean, parenting is a lovely grind, right? I mean, people, oh, people know the drill. It's hard. It's heartbreaking. It's wonderful. It's filled with joy. It's all of the above. But in, in yeah. the midst of that kind of grind together, what does Valentine's Day look like? Well, it's still yet to be determined. You can ask me tomorrow. I guess you know it's kind of a a, a, a year by year thing. But our our my, my wife and I's anniversary is actually uh, on the thirtieth of January, so just two weeks prior to you know Valentine's Day. And so sometimes we'll kind of do more of a bigger celebration on our anniversary, and it'll kind of make it count, you know, so to speak, for Valentine's Day. Um, but we we usually try to set aside some type of special um, sometimes it's a, a time whether it's a dinner whether it's a breakfast a coffee if we can actually the miracle of getting all three kids to nap at the same time which happens <laughs> you know once when the planets align but um, yeah you know I, I think the um, it, it is difficult to to get that 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 time away from one another uh, with each other away from the kids but. I think one of the things that we often do around our anniversary, and it definitely spills into other areas, certainly around Valentine's Day, you know, is this this um, this idea of remembering. And mm. so, I mean, almost like I call it the discipline of remembering, but but it's really like we spend time intentionally remembering our relationship. And so we'll we'll go back from like day one, like first impressions, and like when we first met, and some of the the feelings that we had, the thoughts that we had, the insecurities that we had, the fears that we had, the hopes, the dreams, and kind of almost do a highlight reel. Sometimes we'll pull up our phone and we'll scroll through old pictures. Sometimes we'll pull up our actual wedding video. And, you know, I think the simple phrase, when you remember it, it has a way of making present realities that sometimes can kind of get buried underneath the day-to-day life. And it helps um, us re-engage one another in the day-to-day life with um, just just a fresh appreciation for each other, and um, really helps fuel um, the, the love that we have and that we've grown together over the years. Mm, I think Justin, what you're talking about is one of these key kingdom principles that maybe we don't talk about enough, but we find it in the Bible all the time in terms of the importance in the Old Testament that God placed upon remembering for the Israelites. Mm-hmm. The festivals that they did each year were often related to a remembering of something that God did in the past, or of course, Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me. There there yeah. was the thought back within what was called the Jewish metaphysic or, 
or how they understood the world around them, that when they remembered the power of that past was not just something they remembered, but it became once again part of their present reality. So mm-hmm. I, I would think that what you're describing in relationships, that within the stress that is relational life together, sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's what you're going through where you have three young kids, that the importance of remembering isn't just to say, well, isn't it nice that we once used to like each other, but but there's this <laughs> idea of bringing back what that the the passion and the reason for being together once again back mm-hmm. in the present moment. I would imagine that happens for the two of you as you guys remember like that. Yeah, it really does because I you know I think the remembering helps us to slow down and actually be and not only makes past realities present, but it helps us to be more present with one another in the present moment. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, yeah. you know, we can so easily think that. You know, oh, we can enjoy one another once the kids go to bed or once we do get some time away or, you know, whatever this next season is or this next day or that next trip or that next date, that next event. But when we spend time remembering, we can actually really, uh, you know, appreciate and recognize the gift of one another's presence in the actual moment that we're in because that's all we have. We don't have tomorrow. We don't have next week. We don't guarantee next month or next year or that next experience or season. And so um, it's it's really done that in a powerful way. And, and actually, you know, we, you can remember any, you know, anytime, anywhere. You don't have to be in a certain physical location, certainly, but it's been helpful for us. We met and married um, in Stillwater, Minnesota, which, you know, was a city probably our listeners are, are familiar. First first city in, in Minnesota, the gateway city to Minnesota. And um, I should propose underneath a giant oak tree right along this, the St. Croix River. And we actually go back there on our anniversary and mm. take a picture every year. And so mm. it's fun to go back and like look at the sea, you know. Um, of course, I tell my wife she hasn't changed a bit. I think I have quite a bit, but um, <laughs> uh, but it's just really really amazing to go back to that tree and recognize the, I mean, just the symbolism of an oak tree along a river. And Psalm one was our was our wedding text and kind of been a theme and a grounding text for our marriage and our life. And now that we have kids. You know, this idea of slow growth hidden beneath the surface of the ground of growing those roots together um, over time produces something um, that that, that will stand the test of time. And not only getting out and away from some of the grind of, of the relational responsibilities that we have, and again, in your case with young kids, but there is something about sharing a purpose or or a, a, a vocation or a responsibility with somebody else, too, that really can bring meaning. So it's not just that, that the two of you would get away from parenting the kids, but in your shared parenting mm-hmm. of the kids, I would think that there's yeah. the opportunity for romance in that, too. There is. And you know, what's really fun is we actually, we share, our kids are getting old enough, at least our son and daughter that they're, they'll ask questions and we'll show them pictures and they'll, and they'll, they'll say, where, you know, daddy, where was I? Like, where am I in the picture? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, you weren't, you weren't alive yet. Like you were in the mind of God, but you know, we didn't know about you yet. And it's fun to actually, you know, kind of bring them up into that, um, that rhythm of remembering that we have. And so hopefully over the years, you know, that story will become part of their story. Hmm. We're talking with Justin Jepson this morning. In just a moment, we're going to talk about some of his new ministry opportunities within the ministry strategic renewal, but we're talking relationships uh, at the front end of this. And Justin, at the top of this hour, we talked with Dr. Linda Mintel, who is a relationships mm-hmm. expert about disruption in our relationships, just trying something new. If you, if you were to be utterly disrupted within the rhythms of how you normally do life together, what, what would be a disruptive opportunity for the two of you? A disruptive opportunity. Like something you've never done before, something that you you hadn't thought of before. That's a great question. Um, 
Yeah. You know, I, I think on, on, on a larger scale, what comes to my mind would be to, to take a trip together. Mm. Um, obviously that's a little bit more difficult even, you know, in light of the pandemic and, uh, I know things are opening up and numbers are down thankfully, but I know we've, we've had some kind of dreams and plans to want to take a larger, you know, trip extended time away. Um, I think that would be definitely a big disruption where in terms of we've never been away for our kids for more than, you know, a night or two, <laughs> um, over the last, for the last five years. Um, but yeah, I think another, another thing though, that's maybe more realistic on the more, you know, present would, um, we've been fighting for this, but try to finding a time in the morning to, to, to like, to like line up and be together. Mm. It's not, not so much disruptive in the sense of that if we would have to wake up earlier and actually kind of align our schedules, I tend to be a little bit more of a morning person than my wife is. But, um, we've had a few times where that's aligned and we've been able to make that work. And let me tell you, it's been so sweet to sit at the breakfast table with a cup of coffee and our cereal or whatever we're having and just like have that face to face time before, um, our three headed chaos monster wakes up. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Which but, we love, by the way. <laughs> I do. I absolutely love that. Well, Justin, we'll, uh, we'll take a short break, step away. When we come back, I want to hear a little bit about your new ministry of strategic renewal. You've been spending a lot of time with young people. You have your finger on the pulse of the next generation and where things are headed. And I want to talk about that in light of your new ministry. Stay with us. More to come on Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today. Justin, you can't possibly remember Huey Lewis in the news and that song. I mean, that, that's that's my childhood. You grew up when? In no. like the 2010s or something? Well, not not quite. But I actually, I remember that song listening to my dad. My parents would listen to that song. <laughs> and I remember dancing to that song, no joke, with my sister in my living room growing up. So that, that brought back some good memories. Thanks Great Scott! Indeed, yeah. yeah. That's Back to the Future. A very disturbing movie, actually, on a number of levels. But, boy, that is a great uh, part of that soundtrack. We were chatting yes. with Justin Jepson this morning. And, Justin, I'm introducing you now as – are you the director of Strategic Renewal? Tell us about this. <laughs> yeah, the title is uh, National Director of Strategic Renewal, uh, which um, the, the ministry itself, Strategic Renewal, is a parachurch ministry um, that – Really, the, the heart is to equip the church, ignite the heart of the church through um, developing a culture of prayer. So mm. it's working specifically with, uh, you know, individual Christians and personal renewal, transformation, leadership restoration, but uh, a really uh, specific heart and a passion uh, of, of equipping pastors to be committed to prayer and the ministry of the word based out of the really the two pa- kind of primary pastoral pillars of, of that we find in Acts 6-4 that says they committed themselves to prayer in the ministry of the Word. So it's um, really reigniting the heart of the church to prayer and Word-powered ministry. Hmm. And you and I have both been in pastoral ministry, Justin, and maybe mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things that we don't talk about a lot, but there's not always all the time a lot of prayer going on. So tell us what you see. Right. Yeah, you know— um, you know, Daniel Henderson, who founded the ministry, um, he, he the way that he put it, that was it really put words to my experiences. You know, he, like myself, went through and like, you know, Peter, yourself as well, you know, went through seven, eight years of, you know, Bible, um, Bible school and seminary with and you came out on the other side of that with one sar- one side of your sword sharpened. So in other words, there was the ministry of the word that was emphasized as it should, but to the neglect of the ministry of prayer. And, um, and really the, you know, there was Charles Bridges that said that the prayer ministry of prayer is only one half of the ministry, but it gives to the other half, all of its power and effectiveness. So to try to minister the word without having a ministry of prayer, 
Um, and that's both, you know, what a pastor or what an individual Christian is doing in their in his or her own life. But it's also uh, not just about what they do, but how they lead and how they pastor, how they shepherd God's people. And so not only my experience is, is training and prayer absent from pastoral ministry in preparation, but also from personal discipleship. And so my particular focus in area of the ministry is kind of more towards the person in the pew, so to speak. So not somebody who's maybe into voc- you know, vocational ministry. I'm still interacting with that side of the ministry a lot. But I'm, I'm looking at how, how can we build a culture of prayer within the context of a family, something that's very personal to me within the context of a marriage. You know, how do we pray not only for our kids, but also with our kids? Mm. And um, and how can the church be a part of, of cultivating that environment and, and equipping the saints to, to do just that? And so, because um, I think prayer, um, often in my experience, people will try to define it just as talking to God or talking with God. And, and, it, and it is that, but it's more than that. And I love the way um, uh, an evangelist and theologian, Alvin Reed, uh, put it this way. He said that prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. Hmm. And so that, in a sense, reshapes and reforms the way that I view prayer as um, not just as a conversation or as me talking to God, because if it's just me talking to God, that makes me, you know, one big mouth and God one big ear. (laughs) And he certainly loves to hear from us. But if I reframe it as communion with God, I have found lately that I have to do a whole lot more listening and a whole lot less talking. And that type of communion is actually something that can be sustained um, in the mundane, in the daily, um, you know, grind of life, not just in the prayer closet or in specific times away, which those are important. Um, So I think it's really helping people prayer, uh, helping people view prayer, not in a compartmentalized way, um, but really like like the lungs and the heart and the vital organs of the Christian life. Yeah, indeed, Justin. And you, you brought up a couple of different contexts in which prayer really seems to have an effect in some ways that are so needed. One is in the ministry of the Word uh, during the church service. One is with our kids and families. And I can say anecdotally that the the power and the importance of people who engage in intercessory prayer uh, over the years, I've mm. had a chance to to minister in a lot of different pulpits and a lot of different kinds of churches. You can almost tell when you're standing in the pulpit from the first 15 seconds if that church has a ministry mm. of intercessory prayer. Yeah. I, I don't know how to put yeah. my finger on it. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know um, for sure what happens, but it just feels like there's clear space for the proclamation of the word when people yeah. are carving out space in the spiritual realm. What have you experienced mm-hmm. and how do you understand that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, before just a you know a personal uh, response to that question, I, it reminds me of listeners and yourself, Peter, will be familiar with with Charles Spurgeon, you know, who was deemed as prince of the prince of the preachers, and um, you know pre- preached more sermons than <laughs> I ever will. You, ever, you know, he's <laughs> for the sure, most widely published Christian um, uh, in history, actually, because of all the sermons that were published. And he was once asked, "What's the secret to the power of your preaching?" And his simple response was, my people pray for me. Mm. And, um, and it was even, you know, called that, he called it the engine room, you know, that actually, he actually would mobilize people to pray um, in a room that was actually directly underneath the pulpit in the Metropolitan Tabernacle uh, in London, where he, where he ministered. And yeah, I, I absolutely have, you know, not to that degree, but, you know, in my time in church ministry and serving as a pastor, that was one of the core emphasis of mine was to fill the prayer room during the service 
and before the service, during and after. And I, and I can tell you, it, it definitely, it creates an environment where all of the distractions that seem to flood our minds, um, all the different things that are competing for our attention, for our affection, um, have a way of, of clearing so that the Word of God can be unhindered and really take root in the in the hearts of people and produce fruit. And um, and again, for me, when I know people are praying for me when I'm ministering, when I'm teaching, when I'm preaching, um, I'm not thinking about myself as much. I'm not as concerned about well, how am I coming across? Did mm-hmm. that make sense? And you know that you know it, I'm focused more on just on what God is doing and I'm more attentive to the, the promptings of the Spirit. And it's and again, the reason why it's 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 that it's that culture of intimacy, right, that leads to the fulfillment of God's purposes. And so I think it's. It's absolutely crucial, um, you know, for the church to be committed to that because that's that's what Jesus said the church is. It's a house of prayer mm. um, for the nations, and so if it's not a house of prayer, then everything else that it does is not going to be as effective, yeah, um, as it could be. And Justin, we just have about a minute left or so. But what you're uh, what we're talking about that happens in the pulpit, which seems like oh gosh, you know, this big space that not many people inhabit. But this is the kind of thing that is just true about relationships. You're going into a conversation mm. with your kids or your spouse yes. or something at work. Yep. Prayer creates that same kind of space often, maybe not all the time, but I can't tell you how many times it felt like the space was there to then have the conversation that was needed because prayer yeah. went ahead of us. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. When we, when we have the, there's a, there's a humble confidence that comes and we know that we're walking, we're talking, we're ministering on prayed over ground, you know, and whether that's in the context of the local church or within around the dining room table. And, um, you know, that's certainly a culture that I've been my wife and I have been talking about wanting to develop and continue to do so with our kids, and it's been really sweet. Even in recent days, <laughs> you know, if we had time, I have some some fun stories to tell. Even just some conversations with my son about um, just just praying with him and, uh, and some of the questions he's asking. And it's just it's just beautiful to hear a four year old pray and mm. um, and what he's teaching, what God's teaching me through him in prayer has been really impactful lately. I love it. Justin, uh, people want to catch you at Strategic Renewal. Where can they go to see some of the work and participate in the ministry? Yeah, you can go to strategicrenewal.com. So strategicrenewal.com, and you can see a um, whole host of free resources and articles and videos and um, and just get a little bit more of a, of a feel of what the ministry is like and how we can come alongside of you as a follower of Jesus and your church and to build a culture of prayer. I love it. Well, Jane texted in and said, Justin, excellent, much needed ministry. Thanks for the work that you're doing and looking forward to catching up again soon. Yeah, me too, Peter. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Take a short break and wrap up our show here for the 14th of February on Mornings with Carmen. What a great way to wrap up our show and then to talk about prayer with Justin Jepson. Our prayers go with you today as part of the Faith Radio family. I know that many of you are facing great joys and great triumphs as well as sorrow and grief. There'll be any number of things facing us today. And as we started the show this morning, as a reminder that we fix our eyes on Jesus, God's faithfulness is not revealed by our circumstances. God's faithfulness is revealed that he will walk with us as the shepherd, regardless of the circumstances that come. So fix your eyes on Jesus again today. Look forward to catching up again soon here on Mornings with Carmen. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.